Y'all can be seated. Great to have you today. Sorry for insulting you there, my number one son. Uh, I had kids for two reasons, to do chores and when they're teenagers to be able to embarrass them. That was the only two reasons we had children. So I love, I love the second because uh, the chores they have to do again, it, it's become not as good a thing as I thought. So, but anyway, man, that is terrible. That is terrible. Those are all jokes, everybody, before you send me an email. Okay, kind of a joke. But we are so glad you are here today as we enter into week two of our series we're calling The Good Church or The Tove Church. This idea of God putting out there and creating a super good world, like Bryson just said, it's tov, the Hebrew word for good. So long ago in a village, way before there was heat, central heat and air, there was a wise man of God. And he found out about one of his friends a fam and family who were really struggling through the cold. It was a widow with her three children. They were very poor, beyond the poverty level, struggling to eat, struggling to get by, even struggling just to stay warm in the moment. And he wanted to do something about it. And he had a friend in town who was very wealthy, who could provide well beyond food and, and maybe even into shelter. And so on this cold day, he walked across town and he went to his wealthy friend's house. He knocked lightly on the door. The door was open and he asked, for the wealthy man. The wealthy man came to the door and recognized this man of God, a man that he held in high esteem. And he said, come on in, come into the warmth of my house, we'll gather around the fire. But the man of God said, no, I must talk to you outside. So the man trusting this man of God came out and stood in the snow and in the cold. They had small talk for just a little bit, but before long, the man in this wealthy home was not prepared for the cold, and he was shivering and blowing into his hands, and he was cold, and his feet were going numb. And it was then and only then that this wise man told him about the woman and her family. He explained the situation, and he asked this wealthy man, he said, are you willing to help? Of course, the wealthy man, again, respecting this man of God so much, said, yes, I will do it. And then he quickly went back into the home. Before the wise man could even get off the porch and out the front gate, the door came back open and the wealthy man hollered to his friend. He said, before you go, I must know, why did we have to meet outside? And the wise man replied simply with one word. Empathy. You have to learn empathy. So many of us could describe Jesus in one word, couldn't we? Wonderful words, great words, like graceful, merciful, as, as Dwayne just talked to us about. And those are awesome $10 words, right? He's revolutionary, he's radical, he's amazing, he's good. But one word that we might miss but yet defines so much of Jesus' ministry is that Jesus practiced empathy. In our Bibles, that's translated most often not as the word empathy, but as compassion, that ability to enter into 
walk in somebody's shoes, to feel not for them, but to feel with them, to exit our own personal desires and wants and say, I will enter into your situation. Jesus practiced and lived this over and over. He begins his ministry in Luke 4. You guys can look this up later. He is at a synagogue. He's at a worship service and he's handed the scroll of Isaiah and he reads a section out of Isaiah that connects him with the poor and the destitute and the blind and the needy and the prisoner. His ministry put him in connection with the outsider. He got in trouble because he was always spending time with Gentiles and tax collectors and adulterers and the unclean. It's a miracle that even in his death, he is practicing empathy. He enters into the pain of the thief next to him on the cross. But ultimately, I believe the scripture gives us the best idea of his empathy in John 1, 14, where poetically and beautifully, John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son sent from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus practiced empathy. In the good church, if we're going to be good, if we're going to be tove, must learn to follow Jesus in learning to walk in other people's shoes. If we're gonna be a church full of goodness, it follows in that we will be a church that practices empathy and compassion. And today, that means we will reject the opposite of that. When we practice Empathy, it means we reject judgmentalism. It means we reject the urge inside of us to not interact with those that make us uncomfortable or to get in messy situations. And today, we're gonna explore what that means. Grab a Bible. We're gonna be in Mark 1. Grab a bulletin if you're a note taker or the app, and uh, you can take notes on there. And then the next thing you need to grab is grab a hand next to you and let's pray together. Father God, we just pause for a second before we get into your word and we ask for your grace and your mercy. For Jesus to be among us today, walking, touching us, sharing in our lives with us so that we can be people that share in lives of others. Teach us something today. Father, we pray for other followers of Jesus in this town, and specifically today, we pray for our friends at the River Church. God, they do such a great job of reaching out and connecting with people that don't have much connection. We pray that your will will be done there today, and that you will be seen through the people there who call on your name. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this church family. May we grow and be transformed by the power of your spirit to be tove, to be good to represent you. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. Mark chapter one, a tove moment with Jesus. Mark chapter one, starting verse 40 and 45, this is out of the New Living Translation. It says, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. 
If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. You gotta think about that in a begging voice. He's desperate. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who've been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. We're introduced to this story with just a descriptor, a man with leprosy. Other versions just simply say a leper. No title, nothing more than just a description, not even a name given to this guy, but we know what that means. A leper, an outcast, put aside. His only interaction that this man would have would be with what? Other lepers. Unclean. People who are the object of scorn and ridicule. The Gospels here present him in a way that we might speak of, and I hope that we don't, but in our culture, I'm speaking culturally, that we might speak of a homeless person or an illegal alien or a homosexual or an atheist or a beggar. This man is other. He's unwanted. But yet, notice his boldness. He comes right up to Jesus. He walks right up to him. Now this situation, you gotta get in your mind, is not good. This is a societal faux pas. This is a party foul. This is not what you do. If you're a leper, you stay to yourself. You're supposed to be with your people. There's an expectation to stick to your side of the street among your own, but not this man. He's got what the Jews would call chutzpah. He's got boldness. And he comes right up to Jesus and he says on his knees, if you are willing, you can heal me. Now you gotta think, this is an intense situation. In Matthew's gospel, this appears, this story appears in chapter eight, right after the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just preached the greatest sermon ever and he ends it with, if you do these things, you're gonna build your house on a rock. Then he walks down the mountain and everybody's probably going, is this guy going to practice what he preaches? So it's an intense, awkward situation. Some in the crowd may have seen, maybe Jesus is going to do this. Let's see what happens. Maybe some are hoping he messes up. Some are maybe wishing that the leper would just go away because it's awkward. And we've all been there, right? You ever step on a proverbial hornet's nest? Walking into a conversation, saying something you shouldn't have. We've all eaten our own shoe, right? We've put our foot in our mouth many times. 
You've walked in or brought up a subject that you shouldn't have. You've been around strangers that look different than you. You've been in awkward moments. Have you ever talked about someone poorly and then you look around the room and they were within earshot? (laughs) Sure you have, right? That's the kind of awkwardness this is because this man is not to be in the presence of clean people. An outsider maybe comes through our doors here in the foyer and maybe they look rough. Maybe it's a single mom trying to get her kids to church and she looks disheveled. It's been a rough morning. They don't have the church look. You know that feeling. You maybe be the only one that notices when they're in the foyer. Other people are too busy looking in their coffee cups, seeing if they got enough cream, trying to divert their eyes from a sticky situation. There's a thousand examples of that. What do we do? Of course, we are to be like Jesus because Jesus here gives empathy. We're gonna unpack the way he shows empathy, maybe with some details you haven't thought about before because first of all, here's what he does. In his practice of empathy, he changes everything for the man because first of all, his empathy, as a good church, that's not supposed to be in there, and empathy creates space. You notice that? Jesus has this man walk up to him in awkwardness and then Jesus closes the gap even further. The gap between this world and this man, between his pain and his need for someone to help, between his loneliness and being an unclean person and his need for healing. Here's what I love is we're told in verse 41 that Jesus stretches out his hand. He creates space not this way, but he creates space for a new experience, a new reality this way. It's not more space. He creates new reality by making less space. Empathy is that. Empathy is something that creates a new reality. I wanna illustrate that. Cameron, if you'll come up, Cameron's gonna do some holding of these cards because I want you guys to see the difference between sympathy and empathy. And Cameron, if you'll just stand about right there. Cameron's gonna be a person in need and I'm gonna be the person first who is offering sympathy. (laughs) Better get this right. And so this is what it often sounds like in the difference between sympathy and sympathy. And empathy. Sympathy is feeling for someone. Empathy is feeling with someone. So somebody may say, first of all, I'm having a really hard time or I'm struggling with my faith. Sympathy says to that person, oh, hey, I'll pray about that. It's not bad. We all, I'm not saying sympathy is bad, but it just says, oh, I'll pray about that. Or maybe somebody says, point two here, Man, they say something tough, like, I think my marriage is falling apart. Sympathy says, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. Homer Simpson into the hedgerow, right? Let's slowly back away. I don't want to mess with that, right? Maybe somebody says something very difficult, like, I've had a miscarriage. Sympathy says, at least you know you can get pregnant. Oof. 
Wow, right? Tough. Or maybe somebody says, my son got suspended from school. Sympathy says to them, and you notice sympathy almost always starts with at least, so watch yourselves when you say at least. At least your daughter's a good student. Right? And then finally, maybe somebody just simply says, I don't feel like I trust God anymore. And sympathy says, you just need to try harder. You need to have more faith. Now that's sympathy. Let's flip it again. We're going to start over. I want you to see the difference between that and empathy. Sympathy is not always mean like some of these are. Some of these were a little bit hard-hearted. But empathy changes the narrative because empathy creates a new space. So back to our first one. Cameron might say, I'm really struggling with my faith. Then what we're gonna say is not, I'm gonna pray with you. We're gonna say, I'm here with you to walk every step. You see the difference? And then the second one, when somebody's having a tough time with marriage, that's what we have to say is this. I gotta read this one. I can imagine that's so hard, right? Even if you've never had a tough time in your marriage, that's closing the space. We are here with you. We're with you. His third one, I feel so alone. We had a miscarriage. Instead of saying, yeah, at least you know you can get pregnant, empathy says we love you. It is normal to feel alone. Let's talk to others who've been there. Let's get together with fellow followers. Empathy changes it. This fourth one, my son got suspended from school. Instead of saying, well, your daughter's an A student. Your son, well, you'll have fun visiting him. You know, I don't know where he's gonna be, whatever, you know. What we say is, is there any way I can connect with him? What if I took him out to go get a DQ shake or blizzard? They're not called shakes. Blizzard, right? What if I did something with him? And then lastly, somebody says, I'm really not trusting God. We don't say, eh, try harder. We say, let's pray, let's talk, let's share. And we pray right then. You see the difference? So that's the new space. Everybody give Cameron a round of applause. You can just dump that right there, man. I'll try not to slip on it. That's the difference. Sympathy says at least, I don't really want to enter into this, but empathy creates space where compassion can get to work, where compassion was not existing before and where it can help someone get on the journey or the path towards healing. It is where action connects with heart where love takes the leap from a caring feeling of yes, I do care for you into a merciful move. That's what empathy does. It makes that move. Now back to our passage. I love, with it. I love what verse 41 says because there's two moves by Jesus. It says here, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out. He created new space, but what else does he does, do? He touches him. He says, I am willing, be healed. Notice that Jesus' empathy and compassion cause him to reach, but also to touch. He doesn't just get closer and say, yeah, I did enough. He goes the extra mile, the extra inch, the extra foot to create 
and fuel something new. So it creates space, but empathy also fuels connection. Empathy is the power that goes into a relationship and says, let's take this deeper. Let's get this further. The good church that practices empathy is a place of vibrant and always more connected relationship. Amen? You know you're in a good church when your relationships with other church people is always growing, right? That's a great sign of a good church. Jesus shows us how to do that because he says, I'm not just gonna reach out. I'm going to fuel a connection and touch this man. Now, here's what's interesting. Did he have to touch him? No. Could have Jesus healed him in a word? Yeah, he could have backed away and said, got it taken care of, bud, right? And give him a little wave and walked off and diffused the awkward situation and gone back to his disciples. But he touches him. He didn't need to touch him to take away his leprosy. He did it because he had compassion, because he had empathy. The leper was unclean. Now, another note on uncleanliness. We often get this wrong. We often get this backwards. Was it wrong or was it sinful for the man to be unclean or for Jesus to touch something unclean? Absolutely not. Uncleanliness is just part of life in Jewish customs. You were unclean. You had to move a dead animal. You were unclean. You had to uh, go, go about and uh, accidentally eat some food you weren't supposed to that wasn't kosher. You were unclean. It wasn't wrong for Jesus to be unclean. What it was more of is uncleanliness in, the, in that time was not sin. It was inconvenience. It was inconvenient. Every Jewish person was going to be unclean. Jesus shows us something different. So culture said, don't touch the unclean person because you don't want to join them in their uncleanliness. I don't want to be a part of this because it's gross or it really makes it tough to have to wait six more days to get to go to worship or get to go to, go to uh, Sabbath school. It's inconvenient. If I'm unclean, I can't hang around my friends for six days. It's tough. So people didn't touch because of inconvenience. It's the same reason we don't let our kids eat candy off the ground. Will it kill them? Probably not. Is it wrong? No. Is it gross? Yes. Will you look, be looked down upon by social mores of your friends and family if you always let your kids, like people come over to your house for life group and after life group, everybody's talking and your kids over there eating leftovers out of the trash. You're probably gonna have, people are gonna be going, what in the world of life group did I get into, right? You're gonna break some social mores. Is it wrong? Well, no, but technically yes, right? That's what is meant by this uncleanliness. It was inconvenient. Jesus shows us something here. He gives the man more than healing. He gives him connection. And he gives him connection because he's willing to do something out of compassion. The Greek word for moved with compassion that here is in, in verse 41 is this great word, splenchizomai. Y'all want to say that? That's a fun one to say, splenchizomai. Splanchizomai, right? And what it means, you've probably heard this, so fun to say, is it means to be moved in your belly. 
It means to have your inside twisted. It means to have uh, more than the chills, like I gotta do something about this. See, forget what you know or what you believe about a God who is distant and unfeeling, a God without emotion. Jesus here is moved in his inner being. Same word is used in John chapter 11. He's moved when he cries and weeps over Lazarus before he raises him from the dead. When God sees pain, when he encounters pain, he moves into it. He shows empathy. Jesus here moves to make a connection. He will be unclean for six days after this, but he moves anyway. Empathy fuels connection. My life was forever changed as a sophomore in college. Y'all have heard some of this story before. I wasn't a good Christian. I was hardly a Christian. I was a person who showed up to church on Sundays my sophomore year, mostly because I knew my mom was going to call me that afternoon and say, did you go to church today? But one night in a dorm room that I did not live in, but I had ended up at a Bible study, after it, I was standing in the stairwell and our campus minister said, pulled me aside and spent time with me and said, Jake, I really think if you could get your heart set on it, you could do a lot of good for God in our campus ministry. In the path of my life from that moment on, was changed because one man, Monty Daffern, was willing to create new space and fuel connection through empathy. Knowing that I wasn't a good person, knowing that I was probably considered unclean, he came into my life and showed me mercy. That's what a good church does. A Tove church is full of people who, like Jesus, don't just reach out, but we also go the extra inch or mile or meter or minute or hour to touch the lives of others. Jesus is willing to get dirty, so should we. Jesus is willing to be inconvenienced to reach the world, so should we. That's like the one thing Americans don't wanna be, inconvenience, right? That's why we have convenience stores, right? The leper is more than his leprosy. So Jesus is willing to touch him. Our Hispanic friends who we're reaching out to on Wednesdays are more than a language barrier. So we will continue to provide connection. You are more than your sin that you committed yesterday or this morning. You're more than your past. And we serve a God who's willing to go the extra mile. One more highlight. Empathy not only fuels this kind of connection, but let's go back into the passage and see what happens. Because empathy and compassion connects, but it also accomplishes something. So here's what happens. Then Jesus sent him on his way. Now really listen, this is so good. With a stern warning. This one I want to read out of the NLT because I love the idea of a stern warning. Here's what Jesus tells the guy. Don't tell anyone about this. Keep it quiet. Keep it on the DL. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who've been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony. 
that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, right? So Jesus is like, don't do anything. But what's the guy do? But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay in secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. I love that detail. I love it. Mark's the only one to give us this detail. Jesus is like, don't make a big deal out of this. <laughs> right? He's doing like the whisper yell. <laughs> Keep this down. <laughs> right? Don't say anything. And the guy's like, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. And Jesus maybe again says, no, seriously, I'm telling you, the only PR I need right now is from you going to the priest. Just go do the thing. Be quiet. Go to the priest at the synagogue. Let them examine you. You'll be able to enter the synagogue again. And I love it. I, I, I imagine it in my head like the guy's like, got it, Jesus. And then immediately he leaves and he's like, got a story for you guys, all right? He's so excited, he goes and tells. And that is not him disobeying Jesus. That is the point of the gospel. All throughout Mark, Jesus will say, don't tell, and everybody tells. Why? Because the gospel is trying to tell you, when Jesus shows you compassion, you now have a story to tell. Because empathy is what precedes proclamation. It is the thing that gets our voice out there. A few years ago, a Florida detective, you always get nervous when you hear a story about a Florida man. This isn't one of those stories. Sorry, Olivia. This isn't one of those. This is actually a good story. So, <laughs> Florida. Did you ever think a state could supersede Arkansas as the, as the insulted state? Florida has done it. Good job, Florida. Um, wow. Anyway, I had to insult him once, I guess. Sorry, Olivia. So, Olivia's from Florida, if you guys didn't know. So, all right. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, Crystal. Uh, sorry, man. I'm going too far there. <laughs> All right, anyway, this is a good story about Florida. This Florida detective, Mike Blair, March of 2018, responds to this horrible call. Horrible call, even for a cop. A young man who was mentally ill in many ways had killed his girlfriend, had killed her special needs daughter, and he had also critically injured this eight-year-old boy. It was her son. The boy who was eight when he got to the hospital was so injured he wasn't expected to make it. So throughout the hospital stay, Mike, the detective, would show up, check on him as often as he could. The boy started to get stronger. And one night Mike showed up in the hospital room and he was, he was talking to the young man. And the young man was so lonely. Nobody else had come to see him. And he asked the detective, Mike, he said, will you stick around for just a little longer and watch a movie with me? And Mike did. He stayed. But that simple act of just staying for a couple hours to watch a movie, movie pulled at his heart. It was, it was like he was, he was uh, splachnizamide. That's what happened to him. He was splachnizamide. He had moved. He did it. Something had happened. So that night he went home and he couldn't stop thinking about this young boy. It wasn't just a visit as a cop anymore. 
Couldn't stop talking about it. He talked to his kids. He had six kids. He's got a, his wife. You fast forward to today, Mike and his family adopted that little boy. And the little boy says this about his new home. He said just one sentence when I was reading this article. He said, I'm safe and I'm loved. I'm safe and I'm loved. It's a great story, isn't it? Yeah, I love that. But you know what you want to do? We hear great stories when somebody's life has been changed or uh, something's been turned around. When you hear about Monty Tuttle last year, during uh, this last spring, when we li listened to him talk about all the number of lives that are changing in the Middle East because Bibles are being handed out, right? Y'all remember that from, from EEM? Or when you hear about a life change here in Canadian, when we see a baptism and hear testimony, what happens to us? We want to share it, right? We don't want to proclaim it. And you know why we want to proclaim it? Because we share in people's lives. We have empathy. We enter into that story and we say, I have something to say. That's what a good church does. A good church creates space for the outsider, for the hurting, for the lost, for the confused, for the addict, for the person who's trying to find meaning in their life. The good church, by their compassion, then fuels connection. They don't draw away, but they're willing to go that extra little bit extra conversation, extra awkward few moments trying to get to know them around a Wednesday night meal, that extra moment of saying, come with us to a life group because we're willing to be uncomfortable and inconvenienced. And then because we do that, guess what happens? Just like the leper, people go out of here and say, let me tell you a story of something I've never seen before. People in this world still are kind. I love that. Empathy and compassion are powerful. Right, church family? Life-changing things. And guys, around this church right now, there is some amazing things happening. If you've been up here on a Wednesday and seen what's happening back in our fellowship hall with reading, I just can't stop smiling about it. Every Wednesday, I'm just blown away. Or if you've had a conversation with Bryson Beattie about how fired he, up he is about Jesus. It's empathy. If you've had, if you've seen Kayla, she'd been recruiting people for friend speaker. If you've seen Gladine, uh, just the way she welcomes people and brings family. If you've seen Jerry and Doris lately, if you've had a meal from Merlin or, or uh, Katie or Heather, you know that this church practices empathy, Right? I often tell Allison, you know, we ought to get sick so Merlin can bring us a meal. <laughs> no insult there, Al, but, you know, it'd be awesome, you know. Or Katie, bring us a meal. You guys know how good it is. That's empathy. Or whether you've been around Shella Carr anywhere, right? <laughs> She's like, ah, and you're like, that girl loves Jesus, right? I love it. I've been encouraged by seeing Callie Wagner grow recently, or by seeing people step into new leadership. And I know I'm missing hundreds of examples, but that's the power of empathy. And it's the power of saying, I'm not just going to offer you good vibes. What the heck is good vibes? What I'm going to do is offer you the only thing I have to offer, compassion, mercy, and grace.
So empathy, guys, is walking in another's shoes. It's the ability, I guess we could say, to enter holy ground. When Moses meets with God by that fiery bush, tells him to take his shoes off because it's holy ground, right? Take those shoes off, it's holy ground. Never have thought about it this before. What was he about to call him into? Moses, I'm about to call you to be my voice to go speak and empathize on behalf of a slaved nation. Why take off your shoes then? Because if you're gonna do that, you can't walk in somebody else's shoes if you refuse to take off your own. That's empathy. So today, church, our invitation, our challenge is I'm calling you to, and I'm calling myself to take off our shoes. Enter into holy ground. A place where you can say, who in my life needs not just my good thoughts, but needs my prayer. Needs my in-person prayer. Needs that note, needs that text, needs that arm, that hug, that love, that invitation. Because when you enter that place, it's holy ground. If you need that today, if you wanna join me up here and say, I need to take my shoes off. We're here to pray over you. If you got something in your life that you wanna say, I just want this church, pray over a friend of mine that I can help reach. Let's be people that do that. Let's take off some shoes today. Let's stand together and sing.